Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. If you're a guest here with us, we want to welcome you here uh, with us today. We want to welcome you into the presence of the Lord. We've gathered here not just to be together, but we've come to be in the presence of God, and He is here. We've come to worship Him and hear what He might have to say to us. Open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Psalm 95. Open your Bibles to Psalm 95. That's where we're going to be. Uh, We're talking this morning about true worship that God accepts. Uh, If you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Let us sing songs of praise. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation. They are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath that they should not enter my rest. These are the words of the Lord. Amen. Um, As we pray, I just want to invite you, if you wanted to bow down on your knee with me, if you're physically able, Um, If not, just bow your head, okay? Lord God and King, we come into your presence uh, humbly. Um, We love you. We thank you for loving us. And we have come to worship you because you are worthy of worship. And I pray, God, that you would show us today your holiness. And I pray that you'd show us Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Robert Ryman uh, is known as the minimalist master, and he's made quite a name for himself over the last few decades with his artwork. In 2015, an all-white painting, you can kind of, the, the, the slide doesn't really show this three-dimensional object as well as it could, but an all-white painting by Robert was entitled Bridge. It was sold for roughly $20.6 million from Christie's Fine Art Auction House in London, England. What a bargain, right? This is actually pretty incredible when you consider that the purchase, that purchase price surpassed another white painting on white canvas, a uh, painting by Ryman, which sold in New York a decade earlier for a mere 9.6 million. So they must have had a coupon when they bought that one, I guess. And there it is. Some people look at an all-white canvas and they saw nothing. Others saw an art masterpiece making a statement about our nothingness. Trying to understand what it means to truly worship the Lord can easily become like trying to define modern or abstract art. It's whatever you want it to be. 
Worshiping God just whatever you want it to be. In fact, that's exactly the thinking of many Christians. Worship of God is whatever you want it to be. It all just comes down to whatever you, as an individual, perceives as worship. Because worship is just about you expressing yourself. Worshiping the Lord is just two people fishing on a boat. That's worship. Worshiping God can just be rocking a baby, or it's attending a Bible study, or going to church, or it's just going to work with a smile. Or it's hiking on a mountain on a sunny day. Now, in one sense, all of those things can be worshiped under the Lord. But in another sense, another sense, it can just be worshiping created things, which is not worshiping the Lord. In the first case, the Lord would be right in accepting our worship. In the latter case, the Lord would be right in refusing our worship. Psalm 95 calls us to worship the Lord, but it goes even further than that. By partially describing for us what true worship of God is and what it is not. We have both in this psalm, both a positive and a negative example of what true worship of God entails. And this is the big idea for the message today. Worship that God accepts magnifies his position and comes from a humble heart. Let me say that again. Worship that God accepts magnifies his position and it comes from a humble heart. Heart. So that's kind of like the two points to the message today. So let's get right into it. First of all, true worship magnifies the Lord as the king who cares. It magnifies him as the king who cares. We cannot say that we're actually worshiping God if we do not know whom we're actually worshiping. I mean, we very well may be singing a song. We very well may be playing an instrument. We may be mimicking words that are flashed up on a screen or in a bulletin, but we cannot rightly call any of that worship of God if we don't personally know this God and speak rightly about him. It's just noise. It's not a joyful noise to the Lord. It's just a noise we're making. And who is this Lord that we're worshiping? Well, the psalmist says that he is the king of the world. Look at the text here, verses 3 through 7. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. That's a big hand. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The Lord is the king of the world because he made it all by himself. Thank you very much. He didn't need any, like even need any help. That's how great and awesome he is. And since he made the entire world and everything in it, he rules over it. I mean, like, if you make it, you kind of own it, right? That's kind of your car. Like, I, that's mine. The entire world, guys, belongs to him by virtue of his kingship. Let that grab your imagination. Don't let that just be words that wash over you this morning. In the movie Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio's character was a poor boy who got a ride on the most luxurious cruise ship 
in human history. You guys remember the iconic scene where he climbs to the front of the ship with the sun on his face and the wind in his hair, and he crows at the top of his lungs, what? I'm the king of the world. Because he felt like he was the king of the world. Guys, that is a picture of what our worship to God ought to be like when we gather to worship him. We say as a body, as a gathered group here, in our songs, in our praise, in our prayers, God is king of the world. God alone and no one else is supreme. God alone is highest. No one else is worthy of his glory. No person or organization or place on earth or created thing is worthy to receive his praise and his glory and his honor because he is the king of the world and he's worthy of our worship. God is also king of our life. He's also king of our life. The psalmist tells us to worship and the the Hebrew word there when it says worship actually means to lay on the floor outstretched. Prostrate yourself. Worship, bow down, and kneel before the Lord. That means king, who is our maker, which are all acts that you do before a king. Like you don't act that way in front of your friend, right? Or in front of your daughter, right? You don't even act that way in front of your dad, most likely. You act that way in front of a king who has authority. You worship, kneel, and bow down. Because, he, because he's not just the maker of the universe. It says that he's the maker of us. You know what that means? It means that he's made us into his own people. He made us. He made us into his own people. We were not his people, and then he did something, and that made us his people. That's why we worship him. When God saved our life from sin and death, he became our king and we became his people. Therefore, we're under his authority. And that, guess what? That's a good thing. We actually like that. Let him bother us as believers. The Lord says what is right and wrong. The Lord decides what is good and bad for us, his people. Our proper response to God is to submit our life, to bow down before our king. This is how we worship the Lord. But what's so great about our God is that he's not just unapologetically our king. He is our king, but he's not a tyrant. We want to be careful that we don't just collapse one into the other. He is our king. What he doesn't mean he's a tyrant. The Lord has total authority over every aspect of our life, yet he uses his authority only to bless us and do good to us. Would you look again with me at verse 7? For he is our God bragging that he's our God. We're bragging that he's Lord of our life. He's our God, and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. What kind of picture are we getting here? A shepherd. To be under God's authority is to be under God's care. It's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. If he is your king, then you are in his care. Hooray! Good for you. It's a wonderful thing. God is like a shepherd who nurtures our life. He's brought us into his sheepfold, and he even feeds us with his own outstretched hand. He didn't outsource that to someone else. 
He feeds you with his own hand. Do you, do you sense the closeness there? The nearness? The intimacy of this relationship that God has with us? Brothers and sisters, our worship is a willing gift that he has drawn out of us through his tender love. That's why you and I are coming to worship the Lord. He is our king, but he is a king who cares. Is this how you've come to worship God today? Is this how you've come to worship God today? I don't ask that question to make anyone feel guilty, rather to make you introspective. Think right now. Inspect your own heart right now. Ask yourself, does my worship of God today, not yesterday, not last week, that's old news. Today. Does my worship of God today reflect that he's actually the king of my life or simply my advisor? Have I come today to willingly, gladly bow down, not begrudgingly? Or have I come expecting him to bow down to my needs, wants, and desires? Today, am I making much of his high, exalted, kingly position in recognizing my need to be in his care? Secondly, true worship comes from people who listen to the Lord. There's not just content to our worship, there's a posture. True worship comes from people who listen to the Lord. Look at verses 7 through 11. Today, today, today if you hear his voice. It's not talking about what you said yesterday, what we did last week or a month ago or five years ago or 25 years ago. The call, the time frame for this call to worship is today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, even though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my way. How can you be 40 years with someone and then they say they never knew me? Isn't that interesting? Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. This psalm ends with a severe warning. Not only is the warning severe, but it's like the final jarring word of this psalm, right? It's like you're having a phone call with someone and all of a sudden they go, click, you know, like, whoa, what was that all about? That's kind of the effect that we get. It feels like, for me anyway, it feels like you're in the middle of like this huge celebration, this birthday celebration, and you're celebrating this person that you love that just turned 50 years old, all right? You tracking with me? You're celebrating that they just turned 50 years old. They made it. There's happy music that's playing. Uh, gifts are out on the table. Everyone just ate and drank, and they're feeling full and fat and satisfied, and we're all happy. And then someone says, hey, you know what? Let's do something. Let's go around the room and everyone tell a funny story about this person that we love that we're celebrating. And they do that. And everyone starts telling like this humorous story and each story is funnier than the last one that we just heard. And we're all just laughing. It goes all the way around the room and it gets to the last person. It gets to the last person to speak and they share this really morbid story about great-grandpa Roy. 
That's the feeling you get. He did something stupid on his 50th birthday and he tragically died. <laughs> and they're like, man, I hope you don't act stupid and stubborn like great-grandpa Roy because remember what happened to him. Hey, this was a great party. Glad you guys made it, and uh, please drive home safe. That's all. Good night. Like, that's the feeling we get when we read this all the way through. Well, you know what? That's kind of what the psalmist is doing here for us. He brings up this really disturbing story of how the Israelites hardened their hearts against the Lord, and they rebelled against him, so that eventually God had judged that entire generation. Not one person, two people, not a family. An entire generation experienced the wrath of God instead of the rest of God that was promised to them. Why? Because they hardened their heart against them, it says. Hebrews calls it the day of rebellion. That's how it interprets this. God is warning us, brothers and sisters, that it is only those that listen to the Lord today who are truly worshipers of the Lord. It's only those who listen to the Lord today who are truly worshipers of the Lord. Otherwise, you're just doing karaoke today, this morning. You're just doing karaoke. You're singing songs on a screen. So here's a few questions that we need to ask in order to, to heed this warning that God has for us right in the middle of our worship service. Isn't that crazy? What does it mean to harden our hearts? What does this hardening actually look like so when we find it, we can actually maybe correct it? Course correct. And, and then what's the only thing that could possibly soften a heart that's being hardened? Well, hardening our heart against the Lord means unbelief, simply put. It means unbelief. Uh, it mentions Meribah and Massah. Those are places where the Exodus generation questioned and quarreled with God because they had no water, even though God had just rescued their life through a series of miracles all by himself. Where's the water? <laughs> what? God will make water somehow. And they quarreled with him and resisted him and accused him. They actually accused, get this, their rescuer of wanting to murder them in the wilderness. They accused God in Meribah and Massah of attempted premeditated murder. You, call, you saved us because you've got this plan to kill all of us. Now that's kind of a heavy thing to say to God, isn't it? And this suspicious attitude towards God grew and it grew for 40 years it continued. So hardening of the heart is refusing to believe what God says. It is an unwillingness at the core of our being. That's what the word heart means in the Bible. It's the core of our being. It's an unwillingness to, to even listen to the Lord, which naturally leads to disobedience. Obedience is an acting of your faith, of what you really believe. Disobedience is an acting, of, acting out of what you really don't believe. They're intertwined. It's a manifestation of what you believe or don't believe about God and what he said. So just to be clear, unbelief is not doubting the Lord. It's not doubting what the Lord says. Everyone does that. That's normal. He says some pretty crazy stuff, amen? It takes us a while to get around accepting this, some of these things. So it's not doubting what the Lord says. That's normal. Unbelief is also not struggling to trust the Lord, but failing hugely 
That's not unbelief. That's not what he's talking about. We do that. Rather, it is a heart posture towards the Lord. Our heart, we may not even say with our mouths, but we say with our life. It comes from inside of us that says, I do not want to listen to you and obey you. And I will not listen to whatever you have to say, no matter what you do for me. That's unbelief. That's an unbelieving heart. True worship of God cannot come from that kind of heart. You may be able to do karaoke and sing some songs. You may be able to say, hey, the man upstairs. You may be able to call him a good God. You can say a lot of things, but you can't really call him Lord from a heart like that. It says the New Testament, right? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has changed your heart. You love to say that about him. And here's the scary thing. A completely hard heart does not happen overnight. This is not like a one-time event. What the psalmist is doing is it's bookending things from the beginning of that first quarreling to the very end in the book of Numbers. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not a one-time thing you and I are going to just like accidentally fall into. This is a slow, gradual hardening of our hearts, encrusting of our hearts that accumulates just a little bit day after day after day after week after month after year after sermon after sermon after sermon. Kind of like plaque on your teeth, right? You and I, we don't just get tartar one day, that hard encrusted stuff they have to take a chainsaw and chisel off, right? You don't just get that one day because you forgot to brush your teeth, amen? Comes from plaque, build up over time, little bit, little bit, little bit. Which is why we need to hear this warning today. If you think you don't need to hear the warning, you're the one who needs to hear the warning. So how do we harden our hearts against God? Like, what does this look like? So when we see this in our soul, we, we could do something about this. We could change this. Well, there's actually many ways that you and I harden our hearts against God. Sometimes we harden our heart when we delay listening to God. We simply delay listening to the voice of God. We, our heart says, we may not say this out loud. We may say it out loud through other ways. But we say in our heart, we say things to ourselves like this. You know what? I'll listen to the Lord tomorrow. I'll listen to the Lord tomorrow. But tonight, I'm going to do what I want because God will be there in the morning. I'll get around to listening to God. I'll get around to obeying him. I'll get around to heeding his voice. And that's literally what that word here means. It means to heed. There, there's this sense of like obeying is part of that. We say things like this. You know what? I'll, just, I'll listen to the Lord next year when the job gets more stable. And then I'll be able to listen to the Lord. He's got all my time. I, I, he's, I, I, he's mine. I'll listen to him when the job gets a little bit more stable. I'll do what he says after the baby gets a little bit older. I'll heed his voice after hunting season's over, football season's over, ping pong season's over. I'll, I'll you know what? I'm going to listen and hear the voice of the Lord after I get done with this big project. I've got a lot of my life invested in this. And you know what? Then, then I'll invest my life with the Lord. Then I'll heed his words. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling you today to hear his voice. To worship him today. 
Today is the day of worship. Today is the day of salvation. You need to listen to his word today while it is still called today. There will be a time when today won't be today anymore. It'll be eternity. You need to hear his voice today. And listen, the longer that you delay, the harder your heart will become. You know, nothing, it'll be all right. I just, one more day. Look what happened. I'm fine. I didn't hear his voice today. I'm good. One more day, one more week, one more month. The longer you delay hearing his voice, the harder it becomes to hear his voice, to want to hear him. Today is a day for you and for I to listen to him. Today is a day for you to obey him. Today, if you hear his voice, do not delay your heart. Sometimes what we do is we dull our senses to God. We dull our senses to God. We easily fill up our heart, we fill up our mind, we fill up our being with all this stuff that dulls, it blunts our heart to the gloriousness, the beauty, the majesty of God and his promises instead of sharpening our focus, instead of sharpening our heart where it comes in crystal clear. It's like fog on a window. I can see some light and I can see some shape and some shadows, but I can't really see what that is. Oh, well. Instead of doing things that that rubs that away and that picture just comes into crystal clear focus, we dull our hearts to the voice of the Lord, to the word of the Lord. We do this through entertainment. We just amuse ourselves to death. Amuse, not think. Mind numb. That's what amusement is. That's what entertainment is. We do this through sports. We do this this through a good book, a, a great meal and a drink. Movies. Binge watching. Movies. Even our own family can dull our senses to God. Yes, our own children. Yes, our own spouse. Yes, our own parents. And to be sure, these are all good things created by God for you and I to enjoy. We should be enjoying all these things. But the truth is that they can also dull us to the unparalleled, matchless beauty of following the Lord. They don't compare. We can snack and nibble on these little gifts God gives us so much and so frequently are we snacking on them that our hearts have no hunger left for righteousness. There is no hunger and no thirst left for the living God, for the nourishing, life-giving food that is God himself. We just don't feel that pain anymore. We just do that. I don't feel it anymore. You ought to feel that. That's not something you're supposed to numb out all the time. That's what fasting's all about. It's to help you feel that a little bit more intensely. These snacks, brothers and sisters, they become good enough. They become good enough to satisfy our spiritual hunger pains. We just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and just, I go to sleep now. Because I just don't want to feel that anguish. I don't feel that hunger. I don't feel that feeling of sadness or whatever. That God can satisfy. That God fulfills for you. I numb it out. Over time, our ears become dull to his call to worship him. The church bell rings. That's a call to worship. It's God saying, come worship me. Come back, because it's good for you. 
And we go, what, it, what, what was that? What is that I hear? Mm, it's fuzzy. It's numbed out. It's dulled out. Hey, but you know what? You got to hear this song. This is a good song. We can't hear it clearly anymore. Our heart becomes numbed out to his voice more and more and more. That's why none of us thinks we need to go to an ear doctor to get a hearing check. I hear just fine. You guys need to speak up. My hearing can't possibly have changed. Can't possibly have changed. You just mumble. No, don't be fooled by that, brothers and sisters. Today, you must no longer dull your heart to the Lord. You must stop that. You must stop that. You must stop that. Today, you must stop snacking on gifts and truly seek the giver. The giver's better than the gifts. What good is heaven without Jesus being in heaven with you? What good is family without Christ in your heart? Let nothing but knowing the Lord satisfy you. Today He is calling you to love Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. Today if you hear His voice, do not dull your heart to Him. Do not harden your heart to Him. Sometimes we use decoy questions. You know what decoy questions are? Think about decoy ducks that a hunter puts out on a pond to lure the ducks in. Think of these little plastic or wooden ducks. They're decoys. They look like one thing, but they're really another. They look like one thing, but they're really another. Decoy questions are actually accusations against God dressed up like sincere questions. It's good to ask questions of God. The Bible is full of people asking God questions. You should ask God questions. It's normal. It is how you grow closer to this God that you love. Who are you? Why do you do this? Why did you say this? Oh, now I know you. It's good to ask God questions. But the Exodus generation shows us that there is a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. And it looks like one thing, but it's really another. And we gotta talk about that, guys. We gotta talk about that. Asking sincere questions to gain understanding of God so that you can believe him more deeply, that's great, that's fine. You ought to do that. But questioning is asking questions in order to resist understanding. It's asking these questions in order to strengthen your unbelief against him. It doesn't really matter what the answer is because you're not interested in listening to the answer anyway. You just got another question ready in the chamber. Boom, how about that question, God? Boom, how about that one? And I got another question, and I got another question because you don't really care about the answer. The thing about accusing God in the form of questions is that it makes us feel so intelligent, doesn't it? It makes us feel really smart, like we really thought all this through. Not only that, but we appear to be a real truth seeker. My gosh, look at all the questions she's asking. She really wants to know the truth. She's thoughtful. He's thoughtful. But it actually only hardens our heart against God. 
And you can feel that taking place even. Brothers and sisters, do not deceive yourself with decoys any longer. Examine your heart today to see if you're truly seeking to understand his word or you're seeking loopholes in his word. That's a diagnostic question. Do your questions give off the foul odor of quarreling with God and being argumentative? Or do they emit the sweet scent of submission and understanding? I want to understand you so I can bow down to you. Which is it? Please do not be deceived by decoys today. Please hear the word of the writer of Hebrews who actually comments on Psalm 95. And he says these words, Hebrews 3, 12 through 15, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort who? One another. When? Every day, you need to be a member of a church. We need one another to commit to one another says we are to help one another know and believe the Lord. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. We need help from one another. He says, as long as it's called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, and I was going to quote Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. The psalmist tells us that true worship magnifies the Lord as king, and it can only come from worshipers who actually listen to the Lord. But the problem is, is that we all have hearts that are mixed to the Lord. Amen? We all have hearts that are kind of mixed on any given Sunday, on any given day of the week, me included, just being honest with you guys. I got a mixed heart towards God. We all have hearts that want to exalt the Lord as king of our life and at the same time resent the fact that he's the king of our life. I don't like what you say about that. I don't want to hear it. I love you, Lord. You're my Lord. We have this splitness in us. Our hearts are simultaneously willing to listen and to obey the Lord and unwilling to even listen to the sound of his voice. We all have this in us. We do things every day, I just said, that harden our hearts against the Lord. And this means that we don't deserve to enter into his rest. We only deserve his punishment for our heart of mutiny against the Lord. So what's our only hope? So what, in this situation, what is our only hope? A long time ago, Charles Spurgeon, famous British pastor, once said that there are 50 things that can harden our heart toward the Lord, but only one thing that can soften it, and that is the blood of Jesus applied by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Spurgeon was right. Amen. Our only hope for a mixed heart is found in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. 
You see, you and I cannot truly worship God until first we see how hard and skeptical our hearts actually are to the king we're singing to. But we cannot begin to soften our heart until we see that God, what God has done on our behalf through Christ so that our heart would be softened. Jesus, Jesus was human in every way so that he could perfectly represent you and I to God. He was absolutely human in every way to represent us before the face of God. Yet Jesus was also divine so that his obedience, his faithfulness was completely perfect which means it was also utterly acceptable to God. Jesus, his worship always came from a listening, willing, obedient heart. And so the Father accepted his worship. Unlike us, Jesus faithfully resisted every temptation to form a mutiny against God. He put it down every time he was tempted. Now I'm going to do my Father's will and trust him and worship him. So if anyone deserved to enter into God's rest, it was Jesus. He earned that. He earned that. But, ra- but actually, he endured God's wrath. He endured God's punishment instead of getting that rest. That's what the cross was. He didn't rest on the cross. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he never knew him. His own son. He treated him as if he never knew knew him as if he had resisted God's will throughout his entire life on earth he treated his own son as if he was a rebellious insurrectionist because that's who got crucified on crosses insurrectionist I'm trying to overthrow the king that's how God treated his own son and why why did he go through all this so that you and I who are insurrectionists who are rebellious against God who do do deserve God's wrath, could enter into God's rest instead. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What love he has for you and I. That's amazing love. That that just kind of makes me want to sing a song about it or something. Amen? We're quiet today, but man, that is good news. Jesus is the king that you and I and everyone in the world, he's the king that we all need to worship. We need to worship him because Jesus alone is the king who also cares. Brothers and sisters, look at what he has done for us. Look, look, look today, today, today. Look at what he's done for us and let that soften our hearts so that we might truly worship him today while it is still called today. Oh, come, let us Worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker, the king of the world, has sacrificed himself for us so that we might live with him and not die. Praise his name. Amen. Let's pray. Mighty, exalted King Jesus. We come today worshiping you. Though the sermon is over, the worship is not. And Lord, we confess to you that we have hearts of mutiny at times and hearts of love for you at times.
We confess that to you. We do not worship you as you deserve. But Lord, we thank you for giving us your rest in Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you for your great sacrifice, the sacrifice of a king. You allowed yourself to bow down. You were bowed down on a cross. For us, thank you. Thank you. So Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that that would penetrate every heart, even hard hearts today. That in light of that Holy Spirit, you'd apply the blood of Jesus and hearts would melt. They would begin to soften in Jesus' name. Help us turn from our sin and turn towards you. Oh Lord, unstop our ears. Wipe away the fog from our eyes and enliven our hearts to worship you forever and ever. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.